When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, January 17th, day four of the 2024 Australian Open, now officially in the books. It was the opening day of round two play in both the men's and women's singles draws, and it certainly did not disappoint. I had six headlines emerge from the day's results, but we've got 32 singles matches to get into as we recap the last 24 hours of play in Melbourne on today's show. That said, before we do a bit of an announcement as it relates to this podcast, we are now fully prepared here at Cracked Rackets to offer these mini break podcasts as videos available on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. I'm still not quite sure how frequently we will do that each and every week, but certainly we are looking forward to growing the amount of content, growing the types of content we are producing on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. The reason and for that, of course, is we know there are a lot of tennis fans out there who don't turn to the podcast medium for their tennis content. They are searching their favorite players on YouTube. They are watching highlights from their favorite events. They are looking for commentary, perhaps, on those highlights. And we hope to be able to provide it to them more frequently by providing these mini break podcasts as episodes available on that YouTube platform. Now, it won't change anything from a recording schedule for this podcast in terms of making it available on the podcast platform moving forward. Still going to shoot for every day, Monday through Friday. Try to provide weekend podcasts whenever my schedule allows that as well to all of you tennis fans. But if you were ever wondering what I look like when I do these shows, if you do want to see our recently renovated Crack Racket Studios, and a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff. He does 95% of the heavy lifting most of the time. That was certainly the case in putting everything together you see in our studio. If you'd like to check out this podcast as a video if YouTube is actually your preferred, uh, preferred excuse me, medium for consuming tennis content, be sure to check out these episodes on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel moving forward. And to any new listeners, new followers, viewers, we pick up along the way. Hello to you. I promise this is going to be a show you enjoy as we talk frequently here about everything happening in the tennis world. And let's get back to doing that now as today's topic, of course, tackling everything that happened throughout the course of day four in the 2024 Australian Open. Again, I got six headlines from the day. First and foremost among them, the continued upsets we see throughout the women's singles draw. Five more of them as we kicked off round two play. Two top ten seeds, not just knocked out, knocked out in straight sets and, dare I say, fairly decisive fashion. Now, of course, Mira Andreeva versus Ange Jabeur was always going to be a headline match. It was one I previewed on our Great Shot podcasts, where we preview each and every day of this year's first major, and those are going to stay podcasts only, but make sure to check those out. Subscribe to the Great Shot podcast feed if you haven't. To see Mira Andreeva not just win that match, to win it 6-love, six 6-2, six and kick off day four, just talk about a tone-setting moment and a signature victory, another one picked up at the majors in the young career of Andreeva. Again, the 16-year-old dominant in every fashion of the word, every sense of the word, excuse me, in her victory over Jabur. You also had Alina Avanesian, a lesser-known but one of many rising young Russians we see on the WTA Tour. She earns her first top 10 victory, and to get that at a major of all places, to knock out Maria Sakari in straight sets. Avanissian was just straight up the better player from start to finish. There was no fluke moment. There weren't any lucky let cords that defined or decided that match. Again, two decisive 
top 10 upsets. Now, my top eight pre-tournament contenders for the women's singles title, they are still alive. But again, two top 10 seeds, five women's seeds overall knocked out, many of them by young Russians. So those are going to be two of our headlines on the women's side. Certainly on the men's side, we got to talk Novak Djokovic. He's been pushed to four sets twice now in this tournament. Is it time to hit the panic button if you are an Olay fan? Should there be calm remaining? As again, this is a 10-time. 10-time Australian Open champion amongst his 23 major count to this point in his career. What are my thoughts on that question? We'll get into that on today's show as well. And then, of course, uh, obviously, we got to talk more broadly about everything that happened on the men's side. Were the upsets even a surprise? I'll make the case for why maybe they weren't. Then we'll look at the top seeds who did thrive. I think right now we've had, what, five total seeds eliminated on the men's side. None amongst the top 16 seeds entering this event, things are shaping up to be a really, really fun round number three, round number four, and then subsequent home stretch of this year's first major in both the women's and men's side, but the men's particularly, given the lack of upsets we've seen. And again, Beyond those headlines, I hope to touch on all 32 singles matches on today's show. If you are new to this podcast, new to the YouTube channel, that's what we do here on the Mini Break Podcast feed. I watched at least the three-minute highlight package from all 32 of these singles matches, if not the entirety of the matches. I do that so that you don't have to, so that, again, you don't have to keep absurd hours. You can get back to your life after listening to these podcasts. You can feel like you know about everything that happened over the last 24 hours at the Australian Open. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners and of course because of the support we get from our dear friends at tennis point tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 for all of the latest and greatest products at the best prices in the tennis world that said let's talk day four of this 2024 australian open and again the place i gotta start five upsets on the women's side But more broadly, as we try to dissect, or not more broadly, maybe more specifically as we try to dissect that storyline, I think we got to talk about the young Russians and the success they have had throughout the course of this 2024 Australian Open, both in wins and losses. And it wasn't a clean sheet for the young Russians yesterday. Two of them were knocked out albeit by top 10 seeds. Brenda Fruvertova playing a really competitive first 30 minutes, ultimately knocked out by second seed and defending champion Arena Sabalenka in straight sets. I think it was 6-3, 6-2. And so, you know, again, 16 years old. She gets her first main draw victory at a slam. She cracks the top 100 of the live rankings for the first time in her career with that result. This was a massive victory for Brenda Fruvertova, who earned victories in Auckland in week number one of the season. She qualifies into the main draw in week number two of this event, gets a main draw victory, now gets a crack at Arena Sabalenka. Again, her loss in Auckland was to Coco Goff. If you've watched the way Brenda Fruvertova competed last night, I know I'm talking about the loser first and what was a great day for young Russians, but this speaks to how impressive they were across the board, that the most impressive of the bunch might have been the player knocked out and a fairly decisive scoreline by second-seeded Arena Sabalenka. But Brenda Fruvertova is just special, and you can tell it by the way she competes. She was at a competitive disadvantage yesterday athletically. You know, again, size, strength, speed, weight of shot. Arena Sabalenka was better at all of those things than Brenda Fruvertova. And yet Brenda Fruvertova pulled up the bootstraps, and went to work. Whether it was throwing moon balls at Sabalenka, whether it was throwing short angles at Sabalenka, redirecting on a whim, the 16-year-old showed me gumption. She just showed me a competitive spirit, a willingness to try different things in her arsenal to try and solve the problem in front of her. And obviously the problem was too much to overcome. Again, Sabalenka's power winning out. Sabalenka, it felt like, could turn on the magic and win whatever point she needed to throughout the course of that match. Never truly tested in what was, again, a more competitive 3-2 and scoreline than perhaps that five games lost number might reveal. But I just loved the totality of things Brenda Fruvertova did on top of, again, what is clearly a brilliant ball striker from the baseline. I like the pop she can generate on the first serve, even if the second serve is clearly right now from a strength standpoint, a liability for her in the immediate future. But how can you not be positive about her, Alina Kornieva? 
to beat Sarah Cerebes. Tormo passed that test physically after qualifying into this major, get her first main draw victory. She is not top 100 yet, but the former two-time Junior Slam champion. Again, it, it clearly took her about a set and a half to just to the pace of Beatrice Haddad Maya, who got up a set and a break very quickly on Kornieva in what was ultimately a one and two victory. And yet, Kornieva didn't look like she didn't belong. Like, Kornieva ultimately was able to adjust, was able to find her range, even if the errors did pile on, as she clearly had to swing out to try and hit Haddad Maya off center. Again, second serve was an issue for Kornieva, as it would be for any 16 year old, but. Look, in facing top 10 tests, obviously the toughest tests available for these young Russians. And they each at least got to look at what that level looks like, what that pace looks like, how they develop the response to that pace will obviously define both their immediate and long-term future. But I really liked what I saw from each of them. And then obviously you have the four young Russians who advanced yesterday and most stunning of them all, 16-year-old Mira Andreeva. She didn't just win, she routed. Ange Jabern, what was a 6-love, six 6-2 six victory for the 16-year-old over the 6th seed. Now, not only was it Andriva's 6th top 20 victory of her career to date, she's 6-5 against the top 20. 6-5 against the top 20 as a 16-year-old. It's the fact that this match was never in doubt, that Andriva broke right out of the gates and she never let up. There was never any lapse in concentration. There was never any clear-cut indication of nerves or the moment being too big for her. And you certainly saw that in the post-match interview with the poise, the class, the intelligence of her answers. And, you know, asked, well, you're still young. She's like, well, I was 15 last year. Now I'm 16. I feel like I'm more mature. I'm doing things better. Again, to have humor injected in that moment after your biggest win speaks to her maturity, her preparedness, dare I say, for this moment. I mean, look, Jabur was bad. Last night, like it's hard to read too much into Mira Andriva's tennis coming out of this match, but she capitalized on what was an opponent out of sorts. And uh, Jabur made 49% of her first serves yesterday, nine winners, 24 unforced errors. She won just 16 of 39 points on serve. It was a disaster. And part of that was Andriva continued to pressure her. Part of that was Andriva just said, all right, I'm going to make the ball. It's going to go center third. And it's going to, in terms of depth, the ball's land and pass the service line every time. That's all I'm focused on. And when you leave something short, I'm redirecting. I'm approaching. I'm going to force you to try to extend through something because you're making unforced errors. I don't think, trust that you're going to be able to beat me in that fashion. She was absolutely right, and she did everything inside the margins accordingly. 13 winners doesn't seem like a big number when it's patched up. Again, just 10 unforced errors because your opponent's given you so many free points. That's a mature decision from the 16-year-old that she made 65% of her first serves, 22 of 26 on those first serve points. She prepare, uh, She took care of what she could throughout the course of that match, and then let Jabur do the rest for her. Again, from a tennis perspective, I don't think we actually learned that much about 16-year-old Mira Andriva in that match. From a long-term projection standpoint, for her to have the poise, the confidence, and the consistency, the competitive ability to get over the finish line against a player she has spoken about being one of the players she looks up to on tour, it's a massive moment, a massive victory for the 16-year-old into the third round where she has a very winnable match. She's facing Diane Perry, a 21-year-old who, yes, was also a former top junior in the world, has a very impressive serve-forehand combination, but Dare I say, Andriva's got the higher pedigree, she's got the higher ranking, and she was the storyline to kick off day number four because she didn't just win that match. She won that match while nothing else was happening on the grounds. You had rain delays elsewhere. They were moving matches indoors. Hers was one of the first ones ready to play, and she just delivered us a, a headline to kick things off. Mira Andriva knocking off six-seeded Anj Jabur. Here's the thing, though. And, I, you know, again, sometimes I like to use the betting lines, not because I like to bet, but because it's a metric of what the public thinks more broadly, how people who do have money on this match try to handicap things and wager accordingly. They've got their own algorithms that they use. Mira Andriva was a betting favorite going into that match against Ons Jabur. Jabur was playing just her second match of the season. I mentioned in my pre-tournament coverage, I just, given all of her health issues down the home stretch and throughout the course of last season, I need to see Jabur in rhythm before I buy back into Jabur, unequivocal tier one contender, tier two contender, entering a major. It's going to be hard to keep Mira Andriva off of lists moving forward. Again, 
the big Wimbledon as her breakthrough last year now. Just a steady third-round performance for her to kick off her season. Andriva up to a new career high, 35 in the live rankings, 16 years old. I'm pretty sure she still played fewer than 100 matches in her career. That's absolutely remarkable result. Again, how un or how surprising was it? Depends on how much you valued or put stock you had, I suppose, in Jabor's chances entering this event. She was not one of my top eight contenders, so I suppose any top eight, non-top eight contender losing before the quarterfinals, not particularly surprising to me. I was surprised to see Maria Sakkari lose in the fashion that she did to 21-year-old Alina Avenisian. Avenisian, a 6-4, 6-4 victory over the number eight seed. She was controlled from the start. In control from the start, excuse me, breaks in both sets to kick off sets one and two of the Sakari serve. Now, Sakari was able to work her way back in each of those sets, make things competitive more so, I thought, in set number one than set number two. It wasn't Maria's best day at the office. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Looking through the stats from this match, Maria Sakari, 43 unforced errors compared to the 24 of Avanissian. Sakari, just 23 winners against those 43 unforced errors. Avanissian, at least 17 winners to her 24 unforced errors. Avanissian making 82% of her first serves in this match. What stood out about a 21-year-old who has flown under the radar, she is not a name you have on the list of the 22 and under stars, right? It's, it's a name I always bring up as it's a name we never talk about, but I only say her name in the we never talk about her context. I still continue to not talk about Alina Avenisian, and I think maybe we should coming off of this result because it wasn't just the fact that she beat Sakari 4-4, four and, four, and yes, that 43 unforced error count sounds large. Sakari had to start swinging aggressively. Sakari had to start taking some chances because athletically as a mover, oh my God, these young Russians, Andriva, Avanisian, Timofeeva, who just made that Caroline Wozniacki match a track meet on her way from to a come-from-behind three-set victory. I, I, again, it was stunning stuff from Alina Ivanisian, who lulled Maria Sakari, baited her beautifully. The way you sometimes see juniors bait, you know, just lesser players with the moon ball, moon ball. Oh, I've lulled you to sleep. Well, I'm actually this really springy athlete. I'm going to smack a forehand or smack a backhand down the line and buy you and beat you to the spot now that I've caught you cheating over. Now that I have you thinking I'm playing at a slower pace. I thought Avenisian volleyed pretty well in this match as well. 9 of 12 on net points one, but hit far more swinging volleys throughout the course of the match as well to put some court position pressure on Sakari. It felt like Sakari, who was certainly having some issues with the forehand spring throughout the course of the match, but it felt like she was always stretched on her backhand wing, never able to assert herself from inside the baseline because Avenisian was counterpunching so well and turning that defense into offense. It's a first top 10 win, a first third round for Alina Avenisian, who with this result, obviously up to a new career high, number 60 in the live rankings for the Russian. I mean, again, like that she wasn't the headline Russian on the day speaks to A, what Mira Andreeva has already accomplished in her career, but B, speaks to this this talented group of young Russians. It wasn't just Andreeva. Again, you had Mira, uh, you had Maria Timofeeva right out of the gates on day number four, earning a de facto upset win. Certainly, the qualifier had never reached the top of uh, the third round of a major before Timofeeva coming into this event. Career high outside the top 100. She's now up to a new career high. Number 118 is the 20-year-old as a result of reaching round number three, which speaks to, again, if, if you're not in the top 100 after reaching round three of the Australian Open, you got some ground to gain. I mean, track me. That's the only word I can use, track me. And it was a bit of an indictment that Caroline Wozniacki, who has never had the biggest weapons, but she clearly just didn't have the weapons to finish points at the rate she needed to against Timofeeva, hit just 17 winners in this match to Timofeeva's 40, 31 unforced errors to Timofeeva's 37. But that doesn't tell the story because... I, that 40 winner count feels high for Timofeeva. It's not like she was blasting forehands or backhands by Wozniacki. The majority of these points were 5, 10, 15 shot extended rallies. And yeah, Timofeeva definitely had a little bit more juice. I said it before, like whatever quad workout she's doing, can you send them to us? Can you make it public? Because like she's got the legs of someone who moves the way that she should or the way that she does. And just her ability 
to close any even minute window Wozniacki thought she had to play any sort of offense. She just wore Wozniacki down throughout the course of this match. Get to know the name Maria Timofeeva. Counterpunching skills alone. I said it before. There's a little Putin Seva to Timofeeva's game. That would be my uh, comparison. Two players who, again, you you kind of typecast as counterpunchers, defensive players, shorter, but very, very quick Timofeeva's got that extra pop, though, as well, just like Putin Seva to shock you with a little down-the-line magic. So, again, if you're not aware of the 21-year-old, uh, 20-year-old, excuse me, get aware of her. Timofeeva next up, by the way, she's going to take on Beatrice Hadadmaya, another young Russian uh, for Hadadmaya to face off with. Hadadmaya, according to Tennis Abstract, 95.5% favorite entering that third-round match. You look on that versus the other side for Mira Andreeva, who's an 84.1% favorite against Diane Perry. We're getting a young Russian 21 or under, feels like, in the round of 16 and in week number two, no matter what, because it's not those ju- just those two. What about Anastasia Zakharova, a name I was unfamiliar with, and I think it's Zaharova. I think the K is actually silent, so I apologize. But the 21-year-old Russian up 58 spots as a result of her round three appearance. She's up to number 132, a career high in the live ranking. She won and won Kaya Yuvan yesterday. Now, Yuvan obviously the upset victory over Anastasia Potapova in round number one. She just couldn't hurt Zaharova, who uh, another young Russian who just felt like could do a little bit of everything. Speed in and out of the corners, ability to turn defense into offense, solid pace off of both wings. Does she play elite power tennis? No. Was she pretty good at everything yesterday? Yeah, she absolutely was. And you look for the qualifier, Zaharova, career high 156, came back in June 2022, obviously has exceeded that to, uh, at this point. Her career, she's 3-9 and nine against top 100 opponents. Her second career, excuse me, third career top 100 victory came in this first round of the Australian Open. Her three-set win over Yulia Putenseva, 2-6-6, love 6-3. She could make round four. Of this event, she's taken on a Magdalena Free, who just pulled off the upset straight sets over Caroline Garcia. We'll talk about that in a moment here. But again, for Zaharova, what a massive moment to qualify for your first major, win your first major match, get into your third round of a major for the first time in your career as well. And again, I should have been more aware of her because athletically, she can do a lot of things. I'm not sure what the ceiling is. I'm certainly, I I think that floor is pretty high. And uh, for Zaharova now, again, a real opportunity to make a top 100 push with, dare I say, an ideal third round matchup in Magdalena Frech. You look if Zaharova is able to win the match, she'll jump all the way up to number 109 in the live rankings. And you know, again, now you're playing 100Ks, WTA qualifying events, moving uh, into the early portions of the rest of this 2024 calendar. Anyways, again, the young Russians across the board, Zaharova, Timofeeva, obviously the headline results from Avanisian and Andriva as well. And even again, Fruvertova, Kornieva and losses. Obviously, you throw in a young Russian like a Potapova on that list as well. There's another Andriva, Erika Andriva, who belongs in that conversation. It's a really talented group. By the way, Brenda Fruvertova is not Russian. That was really dumb. She's from the Czech Republic. Let the record show. You all, now on YouTube, knew it. It wasn't any, me looking at anything It, it as it comes to my mind that's dumb. But there's a lot of really good players. Uh, Alina Kornieva is Russian. Brenda Fruvertova is not. Nevertheless, a very good day uh, for the young Russians across the board as, again, a bunch of them pick up victories uh, and advance a couple of them top 10 upset victories on day number four. There were five upsets, though, overall in the women's draw, so I want to stick there as we move to headline number two again. Andriva Avanisian knocking out top 10 seeds. How about Magdalena Free? 6-4-7-6. She knocks out Caroline Garcia. It was not the same Garcia that we saw in her matchup against Naomi Osaka. Certainly the stats reflecting that match as you look at Caroline Garcia's numbers uh, from this second round battle. Garcia in terms of that always uh, that always informative is the word I was looking for. Winner unforced error count. Actually wasn't bad. 43 winners against 39 unforced errors. The big number, she won 34% of her second serve points, and that's what you saw when you watched the highlights or watched this match live as Magdalena Freak finding those opportunities to get Caroline Garcia off center, prevent her from hitting with her front foot forehand. And yet still, with how well Garcia was able to execute her own first serve, her own plus one game, 
like she she kept this match competitive. She was able to respond. She was able to take some big cuts. Excuse me, uh, on the Magdalena Freaks uh, or on her own return of serve as well. Again. It wasn't as crisp as the Garcia performance. It was not. Magdalena Freak played a high level. She made uh, Garcia extraordinarily uncomfortable. And for Magdalena Freak to, at this point of her career, again, reach the third round of this Australian Open. You look in the live rankings now. The 26-year-old's up to a new career high, 56 in the live rankings as a result of this run in Australia. You look for her in her career uh, at the majors. Magdalena Freak into the third round for the first, second second time in her career. First time came Wimbledon back in 2022. This is the first time she's beaten a top 20 seed, though, at the majors. She's had success against a 21st seed, a 30th seed, but never a top 20, except for the time she beat Paula Bedosa in U.S. Open qualifying. That doesn't count. So, again, shout out to Magdalena Freak. That's a result, certainly, that given Garcia's success over Osaka in one, round number one, how in rhythm she's seemed on the serve with her plus one. You felt like she might be able to overwhelm Freak. She was not. Freak now, again, she's a heavy favorite against Zaharova, who has played fewer than 15 matches against top 100 opponents in her career. Will she be able to reproduce the consistency we saw from her in that round two match against Yuvon? Uh, she'll certainly have to do so against Freak. Freak, the 81.4% favorite, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast right now. That it's just not enough data on Anastasia Zaharova. That's going to be a really good match, a massive opportunity for both players here to kick off their 2024s. And how do you get those opportunities? It's by pulling off the upsets in the fashion that they did. Again, Sakari, Jabur, Garcia, each upset. The other two upsets were the more, were maybe equally fascinating or, again, I don't know if you if, if it's exactly fair to call them upsets in the fashion you'd call the first three. I guess that was the point I was trying to make there and certainly stuttered through it. That's the joys of having a camera in your face now as we record these. But you look at Marta Kostyuk, how much of that is an upset? 576-176 over 25th seated Elisa Mertens. If you are a longtime listener of this podcast or even listened as recently as yesterday to my GSP preview, you know I'm a big-time believer in Marta Kostyuk. Marta Kostyuk was 5-8 and eight against top 20 opponents in her career at majors coming into this event. And yes, Elisa Mertens was 21-1 in round twos in her career at the majors, but it's very rare for a player who's seeded to have to face, you know, the 35th ranked player in the world in your round two matchup. And that was precisely what Elisa Mertens was dealt uh, in this Kostyuk battle. And look, this match was exactly what you thought it would be. A three-set thriller with a really high level of tennis. Ultimately, Kostyuk's 5-7-6-1-7-6. Much-needed third-round appearance for her at this major. A little much-needed top, not top-tier, but seeded win as well. Just to remind everyone that this is what Marta Kostyuk can be when she's playing her best tennis. A top 30, top 25 caliber player. She's, by the way, with this result, up to 33 in the live rankings. One spot off her career high. Yes, the 21-year-old, it felt like, made that fourth round of the French Open a half decade ago. But she's still just 21 years old. And Kostyuk was the more dynamic athlete. Kostyuk was the more powerful athlete. Kostyuk was the one who could do more things to make Elisa Mertens uncomfortable than vice versa. Yeah, there were moments when Mertens was hitting the forehand down the line excellently. Mertens had a match point in this match. 6-5, she's up 30-40 on the Kostyuk serve. Kostyuk, a bold backhand approach swing cross court for a winner to fight off that match point. Again, this match went 7-6 in the third. Like The margins were as tight as possible. Elisa Mertens did not play poorly in this match. I just thought Marta Kostyuk had more weaponry at her disposal, an easier ability to pressure that Mertens forehand with, win, with excuse me, which, when pressured by pace, can often leave uh, hang short and leave Kostyuk another opportunity to move forward behind, but I also thought, again, she was even athletically with Mertens in and out of corners. This was a really physical, really fun match. One of those matches worth watching the extended highlights of. I guess that would be my final pitch for it. Again, it's a brutal draw for Mertens, who's got to feel like she's playing really good ball coming out of January, and again, against a different opponent, maybe would have had a better pathway. Had she had a Zaharova or a Magdalena Frech, I think we would be seeing Elisa Mertens in round number three of this event, but she didn't. She faced an informed Kostyuk, and again, that's a massive win for the 21-year-old just to get things going and say, all right, I beat a seeded player. I exceeded expectations. By the way, she's going to take on 21-year-old Alina Avanisian yet. 
Kostyuk's got a path to round two at the Australian Open. Round two, week number two, excuse me, at this Australian Open. She does that. Kostyuk, you look at the live rankings right now, one more victory. She would jump to a new career high, 31, in those live rankings, at least for now. I mean, if you come out of the first month of the season with a new career high ranking, you're feeling pretty good about month number one of the year. Again, Kostyuk will now have the opportunity to do so. That's a massive win, a massive win for the 21-year-old to kick off her career, uh, kick off her season and what, in my opinion, is a make-or-break season for her in terms of does she have that top 10 upside, top 10, top 10 upside she displayed early in her career. Obviously, there have been a lot of off-court reasons why she hasn't played her best tennis. Ukrainian, given the struggles going on in her home country, she's talked openly about how that's affected her, her life on tour, having those concerns about her family at home. If she is able to find her best level of tennis here to start 2024 and sustain that level, I do think we'll be talking about her. Maybe not a consistent top five player, but someone who's always in that WTA Tour Finals hunt. Someone who can always make a second week at a major when she's playing her best stuff and seems to be bringing that best level to start this 2024 season again. 7-6 in the third. She knocks out 25th seeded Elisa Mertens. And then how about Alicia Parks, who I think had lost 11 of her last 12 matchups against top 50 players now. Parks still has to defend 250 points coming off from her Lyon title in February of last year real soon. But to make a third round at a major in your uh, in Australia, in your first go in that Australian Open main draw, she's up 12 spots to 70 now in the live rankings. Gives herself a little bit of margin with those points coming off of her resume, but more importantly, gets a much-needed win over a top 50 player. And, you know, Parks was down a break early in that first set, ultimately able to, able to overcome it again on her way to that 7-5-6-4 score line. She can just play elite power tennis. It's as simple as that. Her first serve is ridiculous. When it's landing 120, 125 in the box, there was just wasn't much Layla Fernandez could do. The pace, the power of that ball, it overwhelmed Fernandez. Now, Fernandez was far from her best. She was spraying all over the court, missing a lot in the net in trying to beat Alicia Parks to the spot. I don't know if that's because that ball was coming in a little lower, a little flatter on her, given that is just the game style Alicia Parks plays with. It's line drive, aggressive tennis. You look for Fernandez during this match, nine winners against 18 unforced errors. She was just so frequently on her back foot. Again, Parks, 30 winners, 39 unforced errors. Parks, 13 aces in this match. Uh, this is the sort of power tennis Alicia Parks is capable of playing. Again, a massive victory for the 23-year-old to kick off her 2024 season. And, you know, again, you knock out the seed, things open up in your section. The thing is next up for Parks. Oh, just a date with reigning U.S. Open champion, 19-year-old Coco Goff, an All-American affair that sees Goff as a 94% favorite. Still, that's a really good win for Alicia Parks. And again, 17 of 32 seeds, 17 of 32 women's seeds have been eliminated thus far. You look at the top 10 seeds, Jabur, Vondrosova, Sakari, all eliminated so far in the first two rounds of play. Obviously, again, I thought Mertens was playing really well coming in. Garcia, certainly, given she's the only player to get a set off Iga in the past four months. You thought maybe, maybe you throw her at the bottom half of your list. Again, my top eight pre-tournament contender still alive, but 17 of 32 seeds eliminated. Speaks to the parity. Speaks to, again, Kostyuk's 21, Andriva 16, Avanesian 21, Parks is 23, but still relatively young in her WTA career. Timofeeva, 20. Uh, who else am I missing? Anissa Mova, who we'll talk about in a moment. Like, she's still 22. Diane Perry, 21. Zaharova, 21. There is a lot of young talent in the women's game. And we talk about the changing of the guard. So frequently, you f you view that lens of changing of the guard and the lens of, well, who's at the top of the game, right? Iga, Elkaraz, the... Goff, the most shining example of a clear-cut changing of the guard. When a young player wins a slam like that, you know, you don't even have to discuss it or make an example for it. But it's beyond just the top five. It's beyond just the top 10. It's, you know, again, those players 35 through 50 in the rankings, 70 through 100 in the rankings. They're all young and hungry right now in both the men's and women's games, whether it's, again, a Zaharova, whether it's a... a of Anisian, or whether it's a guy like a Luca Van Asha on the men's side, obviously Arthur Fee, his compatriot, a Tomas Martin Echeverry, just 
there's a hungry group of young players who are all ascending towards their prime, and they're not willing to wait. They want to make a noise, a name and noise for themselves right now. And so, you know, again, it's really enjoyable to watch and certainly leads to some fun tennis. And, you know, again, he's a little older than this group. But speaking of trying to make a name for themselves, I think you could say the same thing about Novak Djokovic's opponent last night, Alexi Popperin, who played like he had nothing to lose and pushed the top seed to another four-set match here to kick off his Australian Open. And that's where I want to go with headline number three. Should you be hitting the panic button? If you're a Novak Djokovic fan, here's the spoiler alert. I hope you made it to this point. I hope you either A, were waiting as a Djokovic fan listening to this on the podcast, or B, you immediately clicked it as a Djokovic fan here on YouTube. You absolutely do not need to hit the panic button if you're a Novak Djokovic fan. Yes, he's been pushed to four sets both times. Yes, he talked about the wrist injury prior to the tournament. It was clear he was also battling some sort of illness, whether it was a cold or something viral, whatever it was. He had Kleenex on him and clearly wasn't feeling 100% last night while on court. Was there ever a moment you were in doubt that Novak Djokovic was going to lose that match or was going to win that match? Like any fear that he was going to lose it? I know we got pushed to a third set breaker in what was ultimately a 6-3-4-6-7-6-6-3 victory, and we all know how important that third set can be when it's one all in sets to that point in the best of five format, but I thought Popperin was the storyline last night. Not that Novak Djokovic played poorly. It was that Popperin played particularly well. To see him be that consistent on his backhand wing throughout the course of the match. If you didn't know about Alexi Popperin coming into this one, the, uh, what, 20, I want to say, four-year-old Aussie, uh, Alexi Popperin currently in the rankings sitting at 24. Shout out to the brain. The 24-year-old Aussie, currently 44 in the world, he's always had that serve. He's always had that forehand, that ability to explode through those two shots particularly well. But again, to see the backhand, as consistent with as much depth, as much drive as he had on his backhand slice in particular. I have never seen him go off speed as consistently as he did last night. He played his absolute best tennis in that match. Uh, Yeah, the first serve percentage was a little low, 58%. He was clearly going for a little extra, particularly down the home stretch of that match. Hit 17 aces, like was rewarded for those efforts against just four double faults. 52 winners against 58 unforced errors. But remember, you're playing Novak freaking Djokovic, so you have to go for a little bit more. My takeaway was Alexi Popperin is just clearly a top 50 guy moving forward. If you can play that levels for three and a half hours against Novak... Obviously, he won a title last year and proved that he was a top 50 player, but that was a really good result for Popper in front of a crowd that was willing him forward. Always special to see an Australian again compete in Melbourne. That's one of the best parts of this year's opening majors, just seeing how electric those crowds get for their home uh, home countrymen and women. But Novak sustained, like Novak was smart in his game plan, not just attacking the popper and backhand and parking the bus there, but opening up the popper and backhand by attacking that forehand wing, getting him yanked out wide on that deuce court to open up the line of attack for a down-the-line forehand for a decisive cross-court backhand that he could move in behind. Again, Djokovic pretty efficient, 31 of 32, winner on forced error ratio, 13 of 21 at the net. 82% first serve win percentage, 11 aces, no double faults. The storyline was Popperin's level of play. He sustained top 20 tennis for the duration of that match. And a top 20 guy can get a set off Novak Djokovic in best of five. Top 20 guy's not getting two sets. Top 25's not getting three sets. To be that, you got to be world number one, world number two level and sustain that for three plus hours. Lexi Popperin's not quite there. The backhand did get a little leaky in that third set breaker again, that he would have to float that ball at times, particularly there were times when it would be left short. There were moments where again, because that forehand grips a little bit extreme, if you yank him out wide there, if he tries to be too aggressive with his forehand from a defensive position, he'll just shank that ball, miss hit it, yank it wide. That's a byproduct of his grip. Like there are some little things for Popperin to continue to clean up, but it's little things. It's not structurally big things. The backhand for the most part, Look the part, and then again, his serve, his forehand, when consistent as weapons, are going to keep him in every match that he played. So that told me more that there's more upside to tap into for the 24-year-old popper in moving forward, that he can sustain that level for so long in this match. But he also got to play as freely as one can play because you're playing Novak Djokovic where you have no expectations in the world. And again, 
Was Novak his best? No. Was that match ever in doubt? It was not. So spoiler alert here for headline number three. Do I think you need to hit the panic button if you are a Novak Djokovic fan? You do not. We've seen him stumble through matches like this before. I forget what year it was on his way to the title. Maybe 2021 where he lost a couple of sets to Fritz early. I think he lost a set to Tiafo early as well. Like there was some sloppiness in week number one. And then it was never in doubt, and he walked away with the title because that's what Novak Djokovic does. He walks away with titles. So am I concerned about this Novak Djokovic performance? Am I concerned that he's played eight sets through two matches and over seven hours of tennis? I am not. I think Novak Djokovic is going to be just fine moving forward. That told me more about Popperin than it did Novak. But I will say it's going to be an exceptional round number three on the men's side, and that's where I want to go with headline number four, Things are shaping up really, really well because, again, we've only had five upsets in the men's singles draw. And as I alluded to in the intro of this show, all of those players are seated outside the top 16. The big dogs, they're all still alive in the men's singles draw. They're mostly alive in the women's as well. But on the men's side, like Djokovic gets his four set win, Yannick Sinner yesterday. Um, I know, again, if you're new to this show on YouTube, most people lead shows with Djokovic, lead shows with Sinner. I like to get a little bit funky here because we didn't learn anything new from Yannick Sinner about his tennis or his prospects moving forward in his 2-2 and win against Jesper DeJong. We learned that he is a tier one guy. I had him as a tier one guy, one of my top four coming into this tournament. Nothing I've seen thus far makes me question that decision. 2-2-2, two, two, and two, he just overwhelmed Jesper DeJong in all aspects of the tennis yesterday. Andre Rublev, 4-4-4 four, four, and four over Eubanks. He got up breaks early in all three sets, never looked back from there. It was efficient. It was ruthless. It was... Well, you know, again, he incorporated serve and volley because Chris Eubanks will float that return, particularly on the backhand wing with the slice. And the key is if you can take time away from Chris, that's when he'll start to leave the ball short, shank things up versus when that ball's in front of him. He has time. He's six foot seven, obviously. He's got real weapons. Rublev never gave him those chances. Again, efficient on his breakpoint chances. Four, four, and four victory. Protected his serve well all match long. Excellent bounce back after he got pushed to five sets against Sabathfield in round number one. Tsitsipas was the fascinating one. Goes down a first set, 6-4 to Jordan Thompson. Had a match point only to see Thompson then have set points in that fourth set on the brink of forcing a fifth. And yet, in the end, Tsitsipas, another four-set win for him. 4-6-7-6-2-6-7-6. Excuse me, 4-6-7-6-6-2-7-6. His his serve-forehand, excuse me, combination remains one of the three best we have on the men's side. I know exactly who Stefano Tsitsipas is at this point of his career. And whether that's good or not for the 25-year-old, I guess I'll let you fans at home be the judge on that. But when he gets to dictate, when he is on his front foot, he can overwhelm anyone. Yes, he's bigger, he's stronger, but he is sneaky quick for that size, taller than you think, better length than you think, and thus he's able to extend some rallies. If you can play with pace through his backhand, you're going to get some errors, but you better be able to do it in an elite fashion because if he gets a look at an ad side forehand, he's now in control of the point and he can go anywhere with that forehand. That was a great grind from Tsitsipas to steady the ship, not fumble that fourth set, get through and four again. He's been pushed twice, but given the lack of match play he had coming into this Australian Open, good for him to get through. Uh, again, he's a four set winner as well in terms of your other seeds, Demon Hour. Oh, clinic. He was just better than Arnaldi at everything. Arnaldi didn't play particularly well. He clearly started pressing at points in that match, but you drop six games to the 22-year-old Italian. Demon Hour is the legitimate top eight, top 10 contender I thought he was entering this event, and he's the number 10 seed. Of course, he should be a top 10 contender. The level we saw from him last year where he was top five in hardcourt wins, that was real. Like, he's one of those guys now. If there's a hardcourt event, he's got to be maybe in your top five list of contenders. And obviously, we all know who the top four are, but that's like the spot he's competing for. At this point, I think we might get Rublev Demon Hour round four. And wouldn't that be a fun contrast of styles? How about Fritz playing his way into shape? 0-3-1. He is, again, slowly but surely coming off of injury. I mean, Hugo Gaston could not hurt him in anything he did. That lefty ball sitting right up shoulder height for Fritz to explode through. 0-3-1. Good day at the office for him. We'll get back to those other matches in a little bit, but just to, again, continue to set up. Well, I guess just to pop through them. Hatchinov, four sets. Shelton, four sets. 
Baez four set wins. You had Corda dominant against Quinton Halise. Echeverry always in control, just out much like it was in the Murray match. He was better and more physical than Monfi in their round two affair. Listen to all those seeds I mentioned. What, four, eight, 11, plus you had the five-set win from Manorino. So the seeds go 12-3 and three overall yesterday in round number two. You have 12 seeds still alive in the top half of the draw. Just listen to these round three matchups. Djokovic versus Echeverry, another guy who just is going to ask a lot of questions of Novak. Good? Uh, okay, excuse me, is not going to be good enough for Djokovic. He needs to play solid tennis. Like, it can't just be okay. It has to be solid at the very least. That's what we've learned if you're going to try and knock out Tomas Martin Echeverry. He's been too good through these first few rounds. So another test for Djokovic, even though he's a 98.2% favorite. And yeah, I would expect him to get through, but that's a real match. Manorino versus Shelton. Two top 32 seeds holding seed as they approach the third round. Fritz versus Fabian Marazan. We'll talk about the Marazan upset in a moment, but I think he belongs in round three. Musetti loses in five to Van Asha, but Van Asha, one of the rising young talents we have in the men's game. He's got Tsitsipas. I'm in on that. Sinner versus Baez. They held seed. Hatchnov versus Mahak. Mahak's been a rising star on the Challenger Tour. Demonauer versus Kabali. Athleticism, athleticism, athleticism. Korda versus Rublev as well. Like, come on. Two guys holding seeds. We saw Korda in the quarterfinals of this Australian Open last year. We saw him beat Medvedev in round number three of this event last year as well. So we've seen him beat a top five seed before. Like, we know what the ceiling is. He's coming off of a straight set win where, again, he was clearly better than round number one. That is an awesome round number three. Things are shaping up to be really fun. And then, of course, you project beyond that. Like, if everyone holds seed, we could have Djokovic-Shelton, the rematch. We could have Fritz versus Tsitsipas. We can still have Sinner versus Hachinov, Demonauer versus Rublev. There's a world where we just hold seeds entering week number two as it relates to the top 16 in the top half of the draw. That pathway is still available and that's all you can ask for out of a slam a major event at the first major of the year. Last year, you know, J.J. Wolf made the round of 16. Ben Shelton played Tommy Paul in a quarterfinal. And TP was one of your semifinalists along with Karen Hatchnoff. Like, things have gotten a little weird last year, uh, in recent memory in Australia. It's not going to be this year. It feels like we're going to get the big dogs at their best as we approach week number two, certainly at least as it relates to the top half of the draw. And, you know, again, because you look on the men's side, yeah, we got three upsets today. I don't know how surprising any of them were. I mentioned the Von Asha victory, 6 love over Lorenzo Musetti. That match was fantastic. That's a Again, dare I say, maybe another extended highlights match. Just a lot of speed, a lot of counterpunching, a lot of bold down-the-line chances from both guys. Ultimately, Van Asha was just, he was better at passing. I, I guess more than anything, it's not about Van Asha. It's that Musetti pressed. He pressed too much. He forced the issue too much. The unforced errors thus began to pile up. Van Asha was the more patient of the two. Again, if the in the battle of the P adjectives or verbs, well, Van Asha was patient. That's an adjective. Van uh, Musetti pressed. That's a verb. I guess that's your answer uh, in my analysis of that five-set victory. Again, a really impressive stuff for Luca Van Asha into the third round of the Australian Open for the first time. Uh, Van Asha now sitting at 68 in the live rankings, up 11 spots as a result. Five off his career high again. France has two 19-year-olds in the top 70 now. It's been a long time since you could say that about French men's tennis. Arthur Fee obviously going to play tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening to this, against Greek Spore. Uh, but, yeah, that's a job well done, no doubt about it, from the 19-year-old Frenchman. And then uh, you had the other upsets, Fabian Marazan, 7-6-6-4-6-2 over Francisco Sarundolo. I mean, Sarundolo got pushed to five sets in round number one. He lost his opening round matches in his first two events of the year. He just looked like he didn't want to be in Australia. Like it looked like he was pretty ready to head for this South American hardcore, uh, South American clay court stretch coming up in February. Get back uh, to home soil, home surface. Certainly, I it just like I didn't see it. I, I don't know. It was just it was weird. It, it was not his best tennis. Like he just the errors again were piling up. Marazan didn't have to do anything special. And again, Fabian Marazan, much like that Matteo Arinaldi category of players. 
I'm not sure how good the 24-year-old is from Hungary yet. Like, I don't know what that ceiling is for him moving forward. I'll tell you what. The floor is fantastically high. The 24-year-old up to a new career high, 56 in the live rankings. Obviously, he's still known best for his win over Alcaraz last year on the clay, but man, he's starting to build more for himself. Like he is just solid off both wings, pretty springy off both wings. The comparison I would make is he's in that David Goffin model of quick, strong enough. Technique is solid off of both wings, can beat you off of both wings down the line, can hit the drop shot, can hit the volley, can move forward pretty steady mentally as well. I like what I see from Fabian Marazan. That's a guy I'm going to be watching a lot more closely here in 2024. Is again, the all-around nature of his game, how complete of a player he is already at 24. And it sounds as though he's not an adequate athlete as well with solid weapons off of both wings. I don't know if he does anything at an elite level, but he's pretty darn good everywhere. Uh, again, he pulls off the upset three sets over Sarandola, who, again, just never really looked like he wanted to be there. And certainly for Marazan, of all the third-round matches you could draw against a guy in Taylor Fritz, who you're still not quite sure where Fritz is athletically. Again, he just overwhelmed Gaston so thoroughly in round two. Not the worst matchup Marazan could have drawn. Again, he is through to the third round here in Australia for the first time in his career. And then last but not least, certainly the biggest upset on paper, Thomas Mahak straight sets over Francis Tiafo Mahak 6-4-6-4-7-6 throughout the course of this match. If you watched it, Mahak was just the better player. He was more consistent off both wings. He was more powerful off both wings. 56 winners to Francis's 44, just 32 unforced errors to Francis's 30. You know, 13 aces for Francis, 10 for Mahak. Francis wins 67% of his first serve points. Mahak's at 76. Francis just 18 of 47 on second serve points. Mahak winning 62% of those there. And that's indicative of what you saw. Again, Mahak just kind of overwhelmed Francis in everything that he did. And to be honest, I didn't know Mahak had this gear to him. Obviously, it's the first time he's made the third round of, of an Australian Open of a major. And, you know, again, a lot of his success for the 23-year-old prior to this result has come at the challenger level. You look for him in his career in ATP matches, Mahak 19-18 and 18 overall entering this event. He had only made the quarterfinals of two tour-level events in his career. You look for him against the top 50 prior to this match. Uh, Thomas Mahak, 3-12 uh, and 12 overall. This win over Tiafo again, his fourth against a top 50 opponent in his career. Comes on the back of his third top 50 win, which he earned over Echeverry, 7-6 in the third in Brisbane. In the build-up to this Australian Open Another guy, like I hate to keep using this model. David Goffin is always the model I turn to when I say, hey, you're pretty good at everything. You're pretty athletic. You're pretty strong. And I like your technique. I don't know if you're elite at anything, but you're pretty solid everywhere. And I know you're just going to be around for a while. That's Thomas Mahak. Like again, pretty springy. Obviously, he rocks the short shorts. You respect if you're going to rock the short shorts. You got to have confidence. You're going to move pretty well. He does in and out of corners. Can get a little bit slap happy, I guess, with the forehand wing. But it was rolling in this match against Tiafa. You could see it on Francis's face. He was looking at his team as if to say, "What am I doing? Like, what can I do?" This guy's just better than me today, and that's how well he was finding the lines throughout the course of this match, redirecting pace so well, beat Francis straight up, backhand to backhand. It felt like Francis's ball was just sitting there for Mahak to attack each time. Again, that's a heck of a victory for Thomas Mahak, fourth against a top 50 opponent. First time he's into the third round of a major in his career. Thomas Mahak now as a result of this victory. Not going to surprise anyone to learn. Uh, he's actually not at a career high. He's 66 in the live rankings. Up nine spots, but two off his career high. Not a shabby spot to be uh, for the 23-year-old from the Czech Republic. And again, those are your three upsets. Five upsets overall on the men's side. Nicholas Yari. Francis Tiafo, your 18-17 seeds respectively, then Sarundolo, the 22 seed, Musetti, the 25 seed, Sasha Bublik, uh, your 31 seed. So uh, certainly on the list of, I suppose, things to keep an eye on or uh, things to be aware of. Again, Thomas 
Mahawk is a name who he's just been steadily rising up the challenger ranks. So keep your eye on him uh, moving forward as well. Last but not least, as we start to get into the other results, my last headline for you. It's a quick one, but it's one I think we got to start asking as you look at yesterday's results. Are Paula Pedosa and Amanda Anisimova back? Certainly two players we know are top 20, top 15, maybe even sniffing top 10 sorts of players. I know, obviously, for Paula Pedosa, you look at her career high ranking. She was as high as number two in the world. So, obviously, that's a little bit better than that Amanda Anisimova career high ranking of 21. But Anisimova, a slam semifinalist, obviously, in her career as well, still just 22 years old. They were both dominant in straight set victories yesterday for Bedosa, two and three over Anastasia Pavlichenkova. For Anisimova, two and three over Nadia Podoroska. Podoroska just didn't have any sort of weapons to hit Anisimova off center. And just knowing the ups and downs, the injuries, the off-court things Amanda Anisimova has had to go through over the course of her past few seasons, how quickly she's able to pick up her power tennis game again and how definitive those weapons are. Again, once she is back, match tough in the playing shape she wants to be in, because I know she's not right now, just look out, Tennis World, because she's not at her best yet, and she's already into the third round of a major, and she's got a really fun round three matchup, but she's taking on the aforementioned Paula Bedosa. Bedosa, again, straight set win, three and two over Pavlachenkova, two and three, excuse me. Bedosa was just quick enough to absorb the first blow, and then she just she looked like herself. That's the biggest compliment I can offer. She looked like her top 20 self again. Fluid in and out of corners, absorbing, redirecting pace, dominating with the plus one forehand when the opportunity called for it. She was just better at every aspect than Anastasia Pavlichenkova. who's been playing some really good ball. Clear top 50 ball to start this 2024 season. Paula Bedosa's ranking may not yet be back in the top 50. Bedosa right now currently sitting at 81 she's going to be back to the top 50 if she can remain healthy because that was an encouraging level and an encouraging victory for Bedosa to knock out a very much informed paths. Again, my last headline, are Bedosa, Anisimova back? It's an open question. And again, for both, talk about a massive opportunity. Bedosa wins this match. She's back up to 68 in the live rankings. Anisimova obviously coming off of injury. If she can win this match, she'll rise from 284 in the live rankings all the way up to number two. 14. So, yeah, big stakes for both players here early in the season. Obviously, massive opportunity for both as they approach their third round bout. That said, again, I want to run you through all the other results we saw on day number four of this event to rapid fire through the rest in terms of matches going the distance. You had three on the women's side. I already mentioned Kostjuk, Timofeeva, but shout out to Storm Hunter, the lefty qualifier, the first from Australia to reach the third round of this Australian Open women's singles draw as a qualifier since I believe 1985. Shout out to Op the Ace for the stat. Hunter's lefty forehand, boulder down the stretch. She knocks off talented Lara Siegemann, 6-4-3-6-6-3, to earn your three, uh, third three-set win of the day. Again, Kostjuk, Timofeeva, your other three-set winners for what it's worth. 28 of our 80 matches thus far going the distance. They forced three three-set matches, the fewest we've had so far in the women's singles draw. Seeds, seven and five in three-set matches through four days of play. On the men's side, I mentioned the Van Asha upset. You also had Adrian Manorino surviving. Almost blew a two sets to love lead, but in the end, 6-3-6-3-1-6-2-6-6-3. That match was as steady, as patient, as grindy as you expected it to be. Manorino just able to generate a little bit more offense, uh, changing direction down the stretch. Uh, again, for Manorino, he moves seeds to 8-1 and one now in five-set matches. 8-1 and one are men's seeds in deciding sets so far through four days of play. We've had 20 of 80 matches, 20 overall, that's a lie, 22 of 80 matches now uh, go the distance on the men's side. Again, we've had plenty of four setters, but 22 of 80 over a quarter of the matches going five sets, that feels a little high. It speaks to what we've seen so far. Again, a lot of parity across the board. Mentioned a lot of the seeds already, but just a reminder, Sabalenka, Goff, each straight set wins. Sabalenka, she's just her power tennis is elite. It is that much better than the rest of the field and can just overwhelm anyone, particularly a 16-year-old with limited experience at this level. Uh, again, shout out Krechikova. 
Uh, or shout out Coco Golf, six and two over Caroline Dalahide. She had Dalahide on a string. Dalahide was moving well. I haven't seen her show off that sort of defensive prowess in quite some time. Was able to find some really fun defensive lobs to extend rallies, but Golf definitive moving forward. Again, a good win for Coco to set up that dangerous round three battle with the big hitting parks. Barbara Krechikova was probably the biggest storyline I didn't talk enough about on day number four. She's playing that. Oh, wait, this is a top five player in the world when her be- she's at her best tennis sort of stuff in round number two. Just worked Tamara Korpots, two and two. That match was never in doubt. Early breaks, both sets, overwhelmed her with her line drive pace. Talked about Haddad Maya, same deal. She was just too powerful for the 16-year-old Kornieva. Good straight set victory to set up another very winnable round three match for the number 10 seed. How about Lucia Serenko? Three and four over Masarova. It's a good holding seed for Serenko, who, by the way, right now currently sitting at 28th in the live rankings. That's uh, Again, the 34-year-old, I believe, is the oldest player inside the top 30 right now. That is precisely the case. Shout out to you, Lucia Serenko. Oldest player in the top 30, oldest player in in the top 40 as well. Uh, again, two months older she is than Victoria Azarenka, so that's going to be the case no matter what. Tatiana Maria, unfortunately, older than her inside the top 50. Unfortunately and older are rarely used in the same sentence. So you're welcome for that sentence structure, uh, listeners of today's show. Anyways, again, good victory for uh Serenko to hold seed. And of course, how is she, what is she rewarded for that job? Oh, just a date with a reigning champion, uh, Arena Sabalenka. Other than that, mentioned Bedosa, Anisimova. Shout out Diane Perry. Good victory for the 21-year-old from France, who's now up to a career high. 57 in the live rankings as a result of her 5-2 and two win over Rakimova. Her serve, her forehand. If you don't have something to hit with consistent depth into her backhand corner, she's just going to overwhelm you with those two things and her speed as well. And then uh, I mentioned Zaharova, the one-in-one win over Kaya Yuvan. On the men's side, we went through all the big seeds. Djokovic, Sinner, Rublev, Tsitsipas, Demonauer, Fritz, all winners. Hatchinov was actually down breaks in sets one and four early, but ultimately 6-4-6-3-4-6-6-3. He knocks out friend of the program, former University of Illinois All-American Alexander Kovacevic. Again, good showing for Kova. Wasn't quite consistent enough on the backhand wing to pull through this match against the relentless pace of Hatchnov and the pace he could play into that wing particular with his serve, with his plus one forehand. But Kova was able to dictate. Kova's on his front foot. His technique holds up when pressured by pace. And again, when he's hitting his spots on serve and able to extend freely into that forced forehand, able to play some aesthetically beautiful tennis. Good result for Kova uh, to consolidate his top 100 ranking spot. Ultimately, again, though, it is Karen Hatchinov through to just a ho-hum, another of a third round uh, at a major up next, of course, for Karen Hatchinov. Things ain't going to get any easier as he takes on a very much informed Thomas Mahak. Uh, beyond the Hatchinov win again, Ben Shelton fumbles in set number three, but I thought he played some really good tennis, 6-4, 6 in knocking off Chris O'Connell. The biggest thing for Shelton is how unfluky this run has felt like he is the number 16 seed. He should be advancing to the third round. He should be advancing to the fourth round if he's going to hold seed and obviously a real test against an inform Adrian Manorino next. But let's keep in mind, this guy has still played fewer than 50 tour level matches in his career. This is a guy competing in the uh, his sixth Grand Slam major. Uh, 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 excuse me, sixth major main draw of his career. A guy who still has fewer than... It just doesn't have a ton of match experience, and then he's making it look as comfortable as he is at the best of five level. Speaks to the sort of athlete he is, sort of competitor he is, and why so many people have him penciled in for future superstardom. Top seeds win tough. That's what he does, grinds his way to a four-set victory. Great win from Sebi Baez. Clearly, the Winston-Salem run we saw last year was real. He's just a better hardcore player now. His forehand penetrates the court. He's found better pace on his serve. He's moving much more comfortably on the surface, showing off the same sort of speed he does on clay. Again, Daniel Galan could hit all the big forehands he wants. Wasn't going to hit Baez off balance. Four-set win for Baez. Straight sets for Korda. 4-4-4. Four, four, and four. Cannot emphasize enough how much better he was in round two than round one. And again, Achevere is just the real deal. Solid off of both wings. He's he is to you know Coke is to Diet Coke what Casperud is to Tomas Martin Achevere. Just the backhand, more placeholder than line drive hitter. But when he's bunting down on his forehand, 
Man, is that inside-out special. Echeverry, straight set win over Monfi. And then last, but certainly not least, shout-out to Flavio Caboli. Caboli, 6-2, uh, ultimately in the fourth, able to knock out Pavel Kotov. Let me tell you what. And I said this take during the next-gen finals when I said I'm Team Caboli over Luca Nardi, not to compare the two young Italians, but the 21-year-old Flavio Caboli into the third round of a major for the first time with this win, up to a new career high, 75 live in the live rankings as such. Oh my God, is he some sort of athlete? The speed, the twitchiness, the ability to blast a ball down the line on a whim. I'm buying stock in Flavio Caboli and him, Arnaldi. Nardi's got real weapons, like obviously Sinner, the headliner, Musetti in that group as well. The young Italians, the young Argentinians, the young Czechs, the young Frenchmen on top of all the Americans. And then you throw in an Alcaraz, you throw in Aruna, you throw in all these other young prospects. We have Jack Draper around the globe. This young group's really good already. And obviously, again, Caboli, the 21-year-old, threw to the third round of a major for the first time. He gets a four-set win over Pavel Kotov. That is everything from day four of this 2024 Australian Open. Now, if you're looking for preview content, head on over to the Great Shot podcast feed. Day five's match is already previewed, of course, over there, and we'll have previews each and every day on that podcast feed up until the quarterfinal round, of course. We will have more video episodes for all of you listeners as well, so if you aren't listening to this on YouTube, make sure to go check that out moving forward as well. A thank you to all of you who did tune in to this YouTube debut, and a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. I promise I'm going to get better at doing this at a video format as well moving forward. Also, that said, in the meantime, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, who, by the way, provide the best equipment at the best prices, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. And from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Ruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.